screen here. Just in case anybody um, needs a second to join, we'll probably start around 4.02. In the meantime, there's an opening poll if you wanna pop over and take that and we'll get started here in a minute. For anyone that's just coming in, we have a poll question for our audio listeners. The poll is, have you personally had your income negatively affected by COVID-19 at any point during the pandemic? And the answers are yes, no, and does not apply. You wanna go ahead and answer that. We'll get started here in about a minute. All right. Well, I think we can go ahead and begin. Just so everyone knows this event is being recorded and it'll be available online in the next few days. Welcome everyone to the second installment in our COVID-19 town hall series. My name's Sarah Jerzyk and I'm a community outreach specialist at Intermountain Fair Housing Council. My pronouns are she, her, and my visual description is that I am a white woman with shoulder length brown hair and black rimmed glasses, and I'm wearing a white striped shirt. Today, we will hear from two wonderful speakers. The first is Deanna Watson of the Boise City Ada County Housing Authority. And we had a bit of a last minute change. Um, Jody Erickson wasn't available to be here today, so we're fortunate to be joined instead by Intermountain Fair Housing Council Executive Director Joanne excuse me, Zoanne Olson, I'm sorry, you should know your boss's name. Thank you so much, Deanna and Zoe, for taking the time to be here. Um, the Intermountain Fair Housing Council is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to ensure open and inclusive housing for all persons without regard to race, color, sex, religion, national origin, familial status, sexual orientation, gender identity, a source of income or disability, and the IFHC attempts to eradicate discrimination through education um, on fair housing laws, housing information and referral, housing counseling and assistance with mediating or filing fair housing complaints, among other things. The IFHC also provides education and outreach on fair housing laws and practices to housing providers and others. Uh, this town hall and all materials mentioned today and throughout the series will be found on our event page um, that link will be shared in the chat throughout the next hour. Uh, the Eventbrite landing page will continue to be a space where all the ideas, sources, and information remain available throughout the series and can be revisited beyond just today's event. And um, in providing these tools, we hope to identify fair housing solutions. We know there are fair housing solutions to build beloved community. Um, our COVID-19 town hall series will be taking place on Thursdays over the next couple months. The next event will be in two weeks on August 26th and we'll cover the state of fair housing and housing affordability. So put that on your calendar. Also, I wanna encourage um, engagement. This is a community discussion. So if you have questions for any of our speakers, please put them in the chat. Um, we've designated a time at the end for questions. Um, also, because this is being recorded, if any of the questions asked in the chat are answered during our speaker segments, we'll read them again so that um, we're sure to get them in the transcript. Thank you again so much to Zoanne and Deanna for being here. And of course, to our captioner, Lori, Lori Voigt, and to all of you for coming. We really appreciate you being here today. So a little bit of context before I introduce our first panelist. Um, 
As most everyone's aware, the eviction moratorium has been extended through October 3rd by the CDC and all counties experiencing huge growth in COVID-19 cases. Um, in the meantime, we strongly encourage that people apply for rental assistance through Boise City Ada County Housing Authority and Idaho Housing and Finance Association. For Ada County residents, you will go to the link um, that should be on the screen soon. That is erap.bcacha.org for the rental assistance application. And uh, these links are also on our event page. And on that note, let me pass the mic to our first speaker, Deanna Watson. Deanna has been the executive director of the Boise City Ada County Housing Authority for more than 20 years where she has tire tirelessly advocated for affordable housing solutions for local residents. Deanna uh, is a white woman with glasses and short brown hair. Thank you so much for joining us today. We can't hear her. Deanna, I think I'm you're I'm sorry, here, here we go, start again. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the invitation to join you today and to um, help get your help spreading the word about our emergency rental assistance program. Um, I've got just a few slides that give some background and I will try to use those to keep me on track. So if we could keep moving to the next uh, slide. Um, so, under the Consolidated Appropriations Act in 2021, the United States Treasury Department um, allotted $25 billion in emergency rental assistance funds to be administered through the United States. The state of Idaho was allotted $200 million. But if there was a local government representing a population of 200,000 people or more, the, that local government could apply to have their portion of that 200 million uh, sliced off and administered locally. So in Idaho, that meant Canyon County, Ada County, and the city of Boise. Uh, Canyon County opted not to, but Ada County and the city of Boise both did apply and each received the allotment you'll see, uh, 12.7 million for the county and 11.5, and that's based on a formula that's tied to the population uh, numbers. So we received a total of $24,253,638 as the subcontract administrator of the program for the county and the city. And then we can use 10% of the funds for administrative costs and those costs are shared, not just um, with us, but also with the city and the county who are charged with oversight of uh, the operation of that. The funds that we have are, uh, we can continue to spend through September 30th of 2022. And uh, uh, just a few months ago, there was another uh, $21 billion released in what's being referred to as ERAP 2. And uh, we don't have the contracts yet, but we uh, have some level of confidence that we will receive uh, those funds to continue the administration of the program uh, probably another year or two, depending on the uh, spend rate and the continued ties to COVID. So if you can move on to the next one. Um, so just a little bit about eligibility. Um, you have to meet one of the criteria listed. Um, so needs to be qualified for unemployment or has experienced a reduction in household income incurred significant costs or experienced a financial hardship due to COVID-19. And one area that I think continues to be a stumbling block for a lot of people is the assumption that in order for me to qualify for emergency rental assistance, my need has to have been caused by COVID. And I would say that's not accurate in that it's a broader definition than that in my mind it's that there's a correlation uh, between COVID impact and the need. So it doesn't mean that I have to have lost my job, had a, a layoff, had my hours cut, uh, seen my um, uh, own family member in my household get COVID, 
um, we've all been impacted by COVID to some degree. It's if it not by a decrease in our income, certainly by an increase in our expenses. Uh, you know, go fill your car up at the gas station, go buy groceries, um, look at all the costs that are in the building area. Um, anything we want to purchase, um, we've seen those costs go up. And if you are a household that is living on a limited income, um, the, the impacts of those increased costs are so much more, um, I felt at such a deeper level that I think we have to factor that into every consideration of need. Uh, and we try to do that. So also if somebody's uh, at risk of experiencing homelessness or housing instability, um, some places will say you have to have a three-day paraquit or an eviction notice before we will help you. In our case, you know, we'll look for, are you behind in your rent? If you're behind in your rent, then you are experiencing some degree of housing instability, and we're going to call that qualified for assistance. Um, the household income has to be at or below 80% of the area median, and I think 80% um, of the area median for a family of four is uh, uh, around $54,000 a year. We can help people um, in broader categories with this funding than we can with our traditional funding. You know, most of our funding uh, is tied to 50% or below of median income with like 70% of those we pull off of our Section 8 waiting list have to be at 30% of median income or below. And the unfortunate thing is we never have to try to meet that we already have so many people who are at or below 30% of, of median income who need our help um, that we don't even have to, you know, kind of peruse down the list to, to find them. They're already right there. Um, next slide. So uh, we can go back as far as March of 2020. Uh, we can go forward 12 months and in ex certain extenuating circumstances up to 15 months. And what we're doing is in three month increments. So um, if somebody's having a struggle paying their rent this month, it's gonna take more than a month to get on their feet. So next month they're gonna be all right. So we would rather give people 90 days time to kind of get stabilized again. And then if they need help, then about a month before um, they run out of assistance, come back to us. And now we've collected most of the information we need and they can uh, uh, get that next three months paid. And that's kind of where we are now. We've had a number of people we helped for three months who've come back to say, my situation didn't get better. In fact, it got worse or it stayed the same and I still can't dig out of the hole. And so we're doing a lot of those um, payments as well. We can also help with utilities. Um, and that's on a, uh, a rearage basis because, you know, our utility costs change each month with usage and with rates. Um, and then uh, other eligible expenses like reasonable accrued late fees. Uh, internet service, if it's tied, like if people are homeschooling and that kind of thing, um, we would sometimes have to make a case for some of the other expenses, but um, oftentimes we can make that case and get them approved. Next slide. So I already talked about the 12 to 15 month um, total. Um, priority of assistance, those who are at 50% of area median income or below. Um, and then if there's a household in which one or more members is unemployed, um, and has been unemployed for 90 days, they'll be given priority. Um, right now we're processing applications um, kind of on a as they come in basis. I think we're receiving around 25 to 30 new applications a day. Um, there is a requirement that we ensure that somebody we're assisting is not receiving the same assistance from somebody else. And this becomes um, more of a, an issue in that uh, Idaho Housing and Finance Association has been given permission to come into Boise 
to operate their program alongside ours for residents of Boise, but they're not uh, going to be administering the program, at least at this point, in Ada County. Um, so we have to have a means to um, protect the privacy of the information, but check to make sure that they haven't helped somebody that we've helped or vice versa. Uh, and that's taking a fairly significant change in, uh, in software, uh, connectivity and bridging that uh, is a work in progress that sounds way easier to do than it has been in, in uh, our experience to date, but that we're working on that. Um, should I stop for the questions or kind of keep going and then come back to the you can keep going for we have a, we have a little bit more time. Okay, so can you go on to the next? So this is just we can can kind of just scroll through this slowly, but basically the outreach that we've done to date, um, and what we're kind of coming back around to ping people again to let them know we still have funds available. And the next slide. So what we've done is we've uh, hired um, a temp. Uh, agency for uh, kind of a call center type setup for the initial evaluation of applications and initial determination of eligibility. And then those applications come to our regular staff to check over and make sure that we've got all the documentation we need and get them sent for processing of the checks. We, we run checks on a weekly basis. And if need be, we run special checks if somebody's got an eviction notice or a three-day pair quit kind of thing then we do uh, run those checks as quickly as we can. Uh, we have an online application. We also can take applications over the phone. We can give people paper applications to fill out. Uh, and we have people here uh, in the agency to help people if they're having trouble accessing uh, the information or, or you know, getting their documents uh, into our system. Uh, so you can keep going to the next slide. So this is dated information from last week. I can tell you that if I had had time to update this, that uh, the amount of funding that we have expended to date is $10.2 million and some change. And the number of households we've helped is somewhere between 1,900 and 2,000. Um, so that's the combined Ada County and Boise City programs to date. Uh, we have seen a much faster spend rate in the city of Boise than we have in the county. Uh, if you look on the Treasury Department website at a report of all the agencies that are administering uh, the ERAP program, um, you know, every state has it. And then there are 381 uh, local governments. Um, and the average amount of funds that have been expended through the state programs at the end of June was around 10%. Uh, so, so they've expended 10% of the funds that they got. Uh, for cities and counties, it's closer to 20%. Um, for our programs, Boise, we are at 43% of our, at this as of the end of June, uh, of our funding for Boise City, and we're at about 19% for Ada County. So combined, we're about 32%. Uh, and the average is around 20. So next slide. And then there's just a breakdown. Uh, this, these numbers would not be reflective of today's numbers, but a week ago, but the percentages probably stay pretty much the same. So the areas that we've assisted or that applications have come to us, um, and a lot of people wanna know how many applications get denied uh, and what do they get denied for? So um, that kind of gives you that breakdown. And I think the next slide will go into the reasons for the denials. We go on to the next one. Oh, wait, well, maybe that's in a later one. So household size and age of applicants. So you can see, um, I can't see the key at the bottom, but 28% um, of the households are can you scroll? Oh, there we go. So two, two member households, three, and you can kind of see the, the size. And then the age of applicants, the majority is in the 30 to 49 years old. And down to the next slide. Uh, then the breakdown of uh, race, ethnicity, gender. 
And like I say, we'll, we'll, I'm certainly happy to have you link that. And if you'd like us to send the monthly updates, we can do that as well. Um, and you can keep going. Uh, household income. So 45% of the people we're assisting are at 30% of AMI or below. Um, and then the different languages. Um, and we do have um, our information in, I believe it's six different languages in uh, videos uh, that have been done for us by uh, IRC. And keep going. Okay, here's the uh, inactive applications. So reasons that we would deny somebody, 9% actually own their homes, and this is just for rentals. 22% um, over income, um, 24, almost 25% are out of our jurisdiction. So if they're in Idaho, but not Ada County, we'd send them over to Idaho housing. Um, we have some duplicate subsidy and 9% uh, that we can't find a COVID related reason. And on to the next one. Is that it? That must be it. Okay. So, um, that's kind of the overview of the emergency rental assistance program. Um, we still have lots of money. We're trying to get it out to people um, as quickly and efficiently as we can. My worry is that there are people in the county who just don't know about it um, and how to get the word out. Um, I know that at times when in my life, when I'm really stressed out about things, I don't tend to sit down and watch the news or read the newspaper. Um, or really kind of have um, the presence of mind to really kind of know, okay, what do I need to do to get find information that will be helpful? And so we're relying a lot on maybe those who do watch the news and do read the paper to let family members or loved ones know, hey, there's this program that you could get help. And it's been, you know, even like with the eviction um, moratorium, we had some people think when the moratorium ended for a little while that our assistance ended as well. And then the moratorium came back. And one thing we're trying to stress to people is even if you're feeling like right now I'm okay because they can't evict me for non-payment, when that does lift, uh, that amount that people owe for back rent will come due that very day. And if they don't have a way to pay that, now you know they're in such a deep hole that their chances of ending up homeless have gone way up. And so we want to really encourage people, if you're behind in your rent, get in touch with us so we can bring you back to current so that when the eviction moratorium ends, you aren't at the edge of the cliff. So I'll pause there and see if I can answer some questions. Yeah, thank you so much, Deanna. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, so in the conversation surrounding rental assistance, the most common response I seem to be encountering is that no one really feels like they're the intended recipient. There's always someone out there who needs it more, who's worse off. So in the opinion of someone who this is literally your area, who is rental assistance for? And what would you say to renters who are struggling to pay rent, who are feeling the effects of COVID-19, but still feel hesitation because they don't want to take something away from someone else that needs yeah. it? Yeah, we do run into that quite a bit. And I, you know, I appreciate that, that people are so thoughtful of, of one another. But this program was created exactly for the situation that, that people are finding themselves in. And, and I think that there's also a lot of people feel ashamed of ne needing something. And there, there is no shame with this. We've all, you know, we're all kind of innocent um, victims of uh, a pandemic. And those of us who uh, don't have enough to begin with, um, are impacted in, at levels that most people would have no clue about. And I just, uh, we've got a lot of money that we want to get into the hands of people that need it. And there's no shame involved in that. There's nothing that somebody should feel bad about the fact that they need it. That's what it's here for. That's why we're here. And um, what I'm gonna feel really bad about is if we end up sending a whole bunch of money or any money back to the federal government when we know there's unmet need here. 
And so I think that especially for folks who maybe have never been on any kind of assistance program, you know, we tend to think that's something we should pat ourselves on the back for. Um, and then if we have to ask for help, that that's something that um, we should be ashamed of and we need to get away from that way of thinking. If we need help, then we there are programs, um, at least right now. And from my perspective, as a, I've, uh, I need to update my, um, my little bio because I've actually been here 24 years and I can no longer say I've been working tirelessly because I'm pretty tired. <laughs> but um, I think that so often, most of the time, all of the time, maybe until ERAP, we're mostly telling people, I'm sorry, our waiting list is closed. When we open it, you know, you can apply, but then it might be, you know, two, three years before we can get to you. With this program, we can say to people, we can help you. And we can help you within the next week to three weeks, depending on how quickly we can get all the information in. And we can call your landlord right now and let them know that we've got your information, it's been approved, you know, whatever we can do to keep you from um, falling down through those cracks into homelessness or into, you know, now I've got to live with somebody temporarily until I can get on my feet again. And in this market, it, I mean, it's affecting all of us. And so, uh, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to stop thinking I shouldn't step up and get help that I need. Um, that's what this is here for. And if you need it, then come get it. Thank you. Um, you had also said, I think you said that you're seeing about 25 applications a day. Is that low? Is that high? Is that what we want to see? Um, that's about what, well, let me say, I would say <laughs> it's about what we can deal with right now. But part of that is we have a number of people that are out on COVID protocols right now. And so we're being impacted by that fact. Um, when we first opened the list, we were inundated with applications. And part of that was Idaho Housing had about 200 they hadn't been able to get to because they had been, you know, been piling up. And so we were hit hard in the beginning. And then it kind of leveled out for a while. Um, and then, of course, we gave assistance that was for three months at a time. So we saw the demand kind of dip. And then we got close to the end of that three months and it started to ratchet back up. And then we had eviction moratorium kind of starts, stops. Um, and we continue to see rents going up, not, you know, we used to see maybe a $50 increase at the end of a lease term. And now it's not unusual to find somebody with a three to $500 uh, rent increase. And they were barely making it before. Um, so um, I don't know how reflective it is of the need um, and like I said, I wish we could get the numbers up higher for the Ada County communities um, and would appreciate any help that any of you can give us or any ideas for, have you thought about contacting this group or what if you did that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we are going to be going back through our list again and working with the uh, West Ada School District and the Boise School District to try to make sure that people are aware that we still have money available and uh, we know that a lot of people are struggling. Okay, and I have one more question for you. Um, I'm sure that the variety of needs you're say, seeing is just all across, it's all over the map, just a huge spectrum, and every family situation is different. And that being said, is there a cap on how much money any one applicant has access to, or is it more individualized and on an as-needed basis? So far, it's on an as-needed basis. I mean, different from our regular program, you know, normally we'd say, how much are you charging in rent? And is that reasonable in the market? And um, that, that rent's too high for a family of four with this income so that we won't help. This one is a, um, really an open process of what do you owe in rent? Um, and let's get the information about the landlord so we can pay them. One thing that we've done differently uh, than Idaho Housing, and I think Idaho Housing maybe has changed it now, but uh, their policy was different from ours in terms of if a family needed rental assistance and the landlord said, mm -mm, I don't want to provide my tax ID information, or I don't believe in government assistance programs, or I don't want the bureaucratic red tape, um, Idaho Housing was saying, well, then we're not going to help that household. And we said, we'll, we'll give the check directly to the household. 
under the second round of funding, um, that's that's sort of an encouragement to administrators is if you if you if the landlord doesn't want you to involve them in this process, then just give the money to the tenant. Well, we've already been doing that. We haven't had a, a large number of tenants that have had to go that route because most landlords have been willing to work with us, but we have had a couple or maybe a handful. Um, so we've really looked at this as emergency response to a crisis. And in an emergency response, and I've said this to our folks that oversee these programs at the local government, you know, it's like you've got a wagon with a whole bunch of jugs of water you're trying to get to a fire and you need to get there quickly. And so you're gonna move that wagon as fast as you can and some water's maybe gonna spill out. In other words, some people that maybe really didn't need the help might get it. But the bottom line is you're getting the water where it needs to go. And you need to do that as quickly as possible. And so that's sort of been our driving kind of principle is people are hurting right now and we're responding to a crisis. And so let's do that as efficiently and, and compassionately as we can. Okay, I've got one more question for you and then we'll move on to Zoe. This question's from Kelly. Does any assistance qualify for those getting pushed out of homes due to them being sold or the high increases of rent to where they cannot afford to renew a lease? Uh, I would say yes. And I would encourage anybody who's in that situation to get in touch with us. And uh, we will work to see what we do is we work to qualify people, not to disqualify people. And um, even um, and, and some of this is policy under development. We have to get approvals at the local governments. But um, if somebody's moving out of a place because they just jacked the rent up uh, and they haven't found another place yet, uh, that we can help with uh, security deposit and we can help them with a new lease. Um, so we are working to broaden as much as we can. I will say that um, at this point, the city program is a broader avenue than the county program in terms of what's being required in documentation and um, um, ways to link. We had a, we had a situation with a, an older gentleman who was on a fixed income and his rent went up like $500 a month on $800 a month income. Uh, we call that a COVID impact. Uh, people at the county said there was no, there was no connection. And uh, we've been um, battling that a little bit. Uh, we paid it and we're not gonna go take it back. Um, and we've kind of said, if you want to, we'll tell you where to find the guy. Um, but absolutely, that's an impact. His expenses went way up he doesn't have a way to increase his income and it's all related to COVID. So there. Um, <laughs> so, so, and the other thing we're trying to do is keep our two programs as mirrored as possible. So we don't mess up like, Oh, wait, that was Ada County. We can't pay, you know, that kind of thing. And then when Idaho housing comes into Boise, that's another program we want to be mirrored as closely as possible to, because it needs to be seamless for people who need the help. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much. And, and um, feel free to give, I mean, uh, my direct line and email and stuff is on our website. Um, if people are having trouble getting through, we have that 363-9710 number that's for ERAP. If you don't get through, then call our main number. If you don't get through that, call me on my direct line and, uh, and we'll, I'll bird dog it. So um, just want to be as accessible as possible. And if there are problems that people are having getting through, we might not know it unless somebody tells us. Thank you so much, Deanna. And we'll add that to our event page. Thank um, you. So that it's available to everyone. And thanks for letting me go before Zoe. I think the last time we talked <laughs> together, she went first and I didn't have any time. <laughs> <laughs> I might've had two minutes. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, again, if you have any questions for Deanna Watson, please put them in the chat and we'll get to them at the Q&A section. If we have time after Zoe, our second speaker 
is uh, my boss, who I recently found out is named Zoanne Olson, not Joanne Olson, which I called her at the beginning. She's executive director of Intermountain Fair Housing Council. And Zoe is a white woman with brown shoulder length hair and glasses, and she's wearing a black shirt. Zoe, you can, you can go ahead. All right, well, thank you. <clears throat> So uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to uh, Deanna and um, Sarah and Brittany and our team for hosting this. I think it shows um, beloved community for our, you know, our, our community to take on um, something that is so incredibly um, powerful to say, hey, you know, we're going to prioritize this and address the barriers that that um, our community members have been experiencing. And so um, I'm gonna go over some of those. I don't know if we created a, a PowerPoint with some of those included in it, but I will, I will cover my topics um, that I, I normally, and I'm, what I'm really grateful to hear, particularly from Deanna, is that um, when we've reached out to talk um, with our community members that use the assistance, um, I really see that um, you know, our agencies, our emergency rental assistance agencies are listening to us. And I just really want to give kudos to Deanna for doing that, because if you don't know, in the state of Idaho, it's a very quick process to evict someone for non-payment or rent. Once you get a three-day notice for non-payment or rent, it takes five to 12 days after being served a summons and complaint to have your eviction scheduled. Um, and, you know, that's really scary when you need money, you know, when you have been impacted by COVID. And so we've been working directly with our um, legal assistance partners, our um, social service community partners to be kind of the, the interventioners, the social justice advocates to reach out to them and say, hey, here are, you know, some of the barriers we're seeing to accessing rental assistance and um, we need it to come to people right away, right? If you're, you know, facing court and you don't have the ability to get it paid within that three-day period, right? That you've gotten the notice and you have three business days to pay rent after it's been um, that notice has been given to you. You really need someone, if if to broker that, right? To talk to that housing provider, to work with you to get it paid, and that's what we all do as community service members. And so. If that period to get the rental payment takes a long time, that's just another barrier on top of that. And what I really wanna appreciate Deanna is how quickly they're getting it out. Um, the feedback that I'm getting from, from my colleagues and around the community is they are doing such a quick job. And the fact that they have really great relationships with our community members, um, we know that um, the people that are most impacted in our community across the state by eviction are people of color, people with disabilities, and families with children. They have the highest rates of eviction, not only nationally, but um, per capita and through eviction data. And if you haven't read the book, uh, Matthew Desmond's book, Evicted, that's a lot of how these programs started, is he started pushing policy out through Eviction Lab, national policy saying, hey, we need permanent rental assistance. And so Idaho Housing and Finance and, and um, the Boise City 80 County Housing Authority you know, had the guts to say, yeah, we're gonna take this on. We're gonna take on that CARES Act money. We're gonna take on that American Rescue Plan money. We're gonna do the things that we need to do to make sure that um, de jure land use decisions like evictions don't impact them. The other things that it does is that it also promulgated, you know, getting the movement toward right to counsel to make sure people were collecting this eviction data and to make sure we're removing the barriers, not only through rental assistance, but through eviction court. So I wanna go over some of those barriers real quickly. And then, um, and, and some of them that I know that Deanna, I'm just gonna, hopefully you don't get, you know, too big ahead Deanna with, you know, was bragging about the barriers that you've removed. But I think it's important that we, we talk about them. And um, I noticed my colleague Sunrise Ayers um, has a really good question too that I think um, that we need to discuss. But one of the, one of the first barriers um, is, is that um, when people apply, um, if they are immigrants, they think that they do not qualify. And so um, we've asked our emergency rental programs to move. Citizenship is not required under these programs. And in fact, under the Fair Housing Act, regardless of your immigration status, um, you, you should qualify for this emergency rental assistance. So we wanna make sure our community members whether they're in Boise, Ada County, or throughout the rest of the state, know 
that they are eligible for this rental assistance programs and um, that we need to encourage them to reach out. And the Treasury, um, and I'm sure Brittany and Sarah have put this in the FAQs, but the Treasury um, Department has a list of frequently asked questions and they want to reassure us that that is an appropriate use of government funding. Um, we also wanna make sure that um, the greatest need for people of color, families with children, people with disabilities, but all Idahoans, um, we're seeing a lot of veterans with disabilities who access our services, um, also additionally receive public um, subsidized dollars already, but they typically have the most need because they can't work or they've been the most impacted by COVID-19. And I don't mean just the, the virus, but I mean the economic conditions in which you know, we have, as a community, have suffered through um, um, the pandemic. And so their economic hardships have been really, really more challenging with the high cost of rents, with people getting pushed out because of expensive um, housing. Um, they are more and more in need of their subsidized um, housing. And so under these programs, we have to remove those barriers that impact those groups the most um, so that they can also access um, rental assistance. And so we wanna make sure that we as a community are removing those, um, those eligibility disqualifiers um, under this program. And then Gary Haynes made a good point. I saw in the chat, you know, one of the things that I've seen that we, we are improving and um, certainly could have a further discussion is making sure that we're providing interpretation so that not only um, do we have interpreters available, but we as organizations that are connecting um, our community members to this rental assistance um, connect us with those interpreters so they understand and have the language tools to um, fill out sometimes really difficult online technology and provide um, the technology in an accessible way for people who are limited English proficient. And that also goes for people with disabilities. Um, sometimes it's really hard um, if the, you know, a screen reader is not, the, the online website is not uh, visible through a screen reader or maybe there's a drop-down list or keyboard navigation is difficult. So anything that we can do to help make um, applying for it more accessible, as Deanna said, they offer people you know, conversation, people call, you can call instead, making sure there's you know, rural outreach um, where people who may be um, isolated because of their language needs or because of their, um, their um, disability. And so making it easier for them to apply for these programs um, would be an incredible help. And then um, we've been using this successfully is asking for reasonable accommodations. If you're a person with a disability under the Federal Fair Housing Act, you can ask for a reasonable accommodation in use of this program. So if there is a barrier to a program, you um, may ask for someone to help you fill it out or fill it out online or be able to call at a certain time or have certain font or things of that nature. So um, I know um, the housing authority, at least with Deanna has been really, her group has been really um, helpful at working with us and um, the people that Intermountain Fair Housing Council serves. Um, and, and we have to remember that not everybody has access to you know, online services. Does, not everybody has access to technology. As a fair housing issue, not everyone has access to, to good internet. And so um, you know, if you're requiring email addresses or you're requiring someone to fill something out online, always think, is there another way to do this? And we have to be mindful all the time that um, technology has bias, algorithms that we use have bias. And so we wanna make sure that we're not excluding people from participation um, in those systems based on a protected class. The other thing to keep in mind is not everybody has a written lease agreement. And one of the things that really pleased me that um, Deanna's group did, um, particularly that affects people with disabilities and um, families with children and people of color in Idaho and, and a lot of veterans and seniors is there are some housing providers who don't provide written lease agreements or um, they ask their tenants to pay in cash, which you know we, we also encourage people to pay by check or some way to document they paid and get a receipt and to get written lease agreements. And I know all my colleagues out there um, do the same, but you know, making sure that that is never a barrier. And so they've um, implemented a process where you can have um, kind of self-attestations. You can have some way to self-document that. And I think that's really important um, to make sure that barrier um, is addressed. And then you're seeing more and more really um, positive marketing in all different formats because not everyone, again, uses social media or has access to technology. Not everyone has access 
to television or, or a lot of people um, get a lot of information through radio and newspaper. So having different means of which you access and give information to people out in our community is critically important right now um, because we want everyone, everyone in Idaho to know about this program so that they can stay safe and housed and so that landlords can get paid um, and um, we'll work with um, our community members and staying safe and, and for employers to have the critical employees that they need. And by being able to pay your rent, you know, people get to stay in that community and um, they get to stay healthy and safe. And so that's really critically important. Um, and then we're seeing a lot of, um, just as Deanna mentioned, um, the removal of the barrier when landlords refuse to accept or participate in the um, emergency rental assistance. Removing that as a, a prerequisite, removing that barrier um, and giving it directly to tenants instead is a powerful tool to um, give tenants the ability to stay in place and to avoid eviction. And I will say to you that most of the time we've done uh, at Intermountain a really uh, a lot of outreach to housing provider attorneys to let them know about this program, one, so they can help their um, their uh, housing providers apply with their tenants directly or let tenants know of this program. And they've been great about that. And so it's very rare that this happens, but when it does, um, it's been a game changer that, um, you know, Boise City Ada County Housing Authority has allowed this and it's been really great. And I think too, you know, showing that there's a due process, um, there's a due process plan in place for, um, for emergency rental assistance programs so that if they are denied um, rental assistance or, um, you know, maybe um, making sure that there's some appeals process in place so that if someone can't explain um, something in the way that really they do qualify and are eligible for the program, that there's a process in place to make sure that people can appeal it or get access to, you know, someone who might be able to help them, whether it's us or Idaho Legal Aid or a social service program. I know a lot of you out there are doing that to make sure people are connecting with these programs, but it's really, you know, any kind of discretionary de um, decision that, um, um, deny someone might be discriminatory. So we want to really make sure that they understand. And I think one of the great things Deanna did today is to explain to all of us and um, the hope gets out in the community is that, you know, you don't have to have had COVID-19 to be eligible for this program. I think that's um, really a game changer that Deanna and her group has identified that as a barrier. And I know that's been a, a huge issue for us um, people thinking they couldn't apply because they had to have had COVID. And it's it's the economic conditions also within COVID that created that um, barrier for people to be able to pay rent. Oh, Zoe, you're muted. What happened? Um, it's really great that we created that capacity where, I'm sorry, I was bragging about Dan again, but it's great that they removed that um, and or better explained the eligibility criteria because so many people thought that they had to have COVID-19 in order to apply, but that people need to understand, you know, simplify that definition that it's the economic conditions or the, you know, the hardships or the um, health conditions that were created during the pandemic that particularly hurt people who have disabilities and people of color and families with children and our veterans and our elders. I mean, some of you that I've worked with and can see on the participant list, but out there in the community, explaining that so people really understand and don't, that's not just another barrier to people applying. So I think that's really important. And those are like just some of the things that we talked about. And I will just say that it does take, as, as Sunrise was asking, when people start getting through and you wonder why they give up, right? If why did they give up applying? Deanna's done a great, her, her program has done a great job at making it easier to apply, to get more help, to work with us um, and, and those of you out there. And I think that's the thing we need is more and more people working to connect our community members to this vital resource to keep people housed. And if you can work with your um, the community, the consumer that you're working with, a community member, a family member, you know, cousin, whomever needs access to rental systems, I literally talk about it every day. Um, I think it's really important to you know, reach out and, and help that person if they experience those barriers, because not a lot of people, you know, um, if they're having trouble and they only get halfway through the application and then they give up, um, and I'm not saying that's true in this particular case, but um, in other cases, it's really good for you to help them navigate the technology, ask those questions. So does it mean I have to have COVID? When Deanna said, no, it doesn't mean you have to have, have had COVID, but you, and so I think those of us who are actually on the ground, you know, helping people get through it um, and the use of technology, um, 
has made a huge game, it's a huge game changer. So I really encourage you that if, if you have that capacity and can do that, but if you don't, you know, reach out to those of us who are, you know, willing to help people um, get access to it. And I can tell you that it has been a pleasure to work, at least from, I will say from my colleagues um, with Deanna and um, Jillian and uh, Boise City A County Housing Authority to connect people to this critical life-saving need. I wanna make one more point, so I know we have questions. If you don't know this, we had um, over almost thousand people die from, from COVID-19 because they were evicted. And so um, I'm sure that that is higher among long-term care residents, people in nursing homes and assisted living. And so when you get evicted, you are more susceptible to COVID. So it's critically important that we connect people to this rental assistance. It's critically important that we make sure people know that, that they need someone who um, negotiates um, an agreement with their landlord to forego the eviction and accept the assistance because the law is set, written in such a way that they could accept the money and then evict. And we don't want that. We wanna make sure people know that you need to help the person who's accessing the rental assistance negotiate to forego the eviction. And so if you're not working with us or legal aid or, you know, Deanna's group is really great with communicating that to the housing providers that are willing to accept it. But also you, um, all of us that are social service providers as well, kind of wear kind of multiple hats, making sure that they know that because we want people to stay housed because housing, as we all know, is healthcare. So. Thank you for that point. No, that's an, that's a very important point, and I appreciate that you made it. Um, real quick, I want to read the question you were referencing from Sunrise. For the 20% where there is no response, at what step in the process are tenants failing to respond? It would be nice to know so that when we could potentially work with tenants to resolve that. For the 9% where there is no connection to COVID, what type of proof or documentation would tenants need to provide to overcome that barrier? And that kind of links to um, a question that I had for Deanna that um, then Deanna, you responded to in the chat, which was asking, is there a specific group that you're seeing face artificial barriers more often than others? And um, could you just speak to that for just a second, Deanna, and explain what you put in the chat? And then, uh, and then I have another question for Zoe. Um, so the question was about, are we seeing people with extra barriers? Yeah, in the barriers people are seeing, are we seeing one group um, have issues accessing? Are there barriers that are affecting one group more than any other, specifically in Idaho and Ada County? Yeah, I, well, I just didn't like today. Let's say the last two days, I've um, become aware and tried to help people who either couldn't download their information into our system, so couldn't utilize the technology that we have. Uh, this woman was in her 70s. Her husband died of COVID. Um, she then uh, somehow got in touch with Margaret Carmel, a local reporter, who put something on Twitter. We saw it. I contacted Margaret. We tracked down the information. Um, we didn't have the correct telephone number on the original application from this person, and we couldn't get the landlord to respond to us. She applied on July 26th. Somehow it got to Margaret that she'd timed out and now needed to start over again. All we had to do is pull the information forward. And um, that uh, person is having a check run to their landlord. So there's that. Um, there's uh, because we have a call center set up and we have had some COVID um, protocols we've had to implement. There are some people who have applied who haven't heard back. Um, and we're trying to go through those files and, and uh, make sure that we're following up with, with everybody. Um, so there's the technology access uh, aspect. And then there are, you know, even with uh, language um, assistance, it's still really easy for somebody who doesn't speak English as their first language um, to kind of hit a dead end, at least with what they can see of the road in front of them and think that now they don't qualify. Um, and so making sure that we connect up with people who um, maybe have, a re have received a message from us that says there's a, a pause or we need some additional information and they think that means I don't qualify. Um, so anybody who has extra uh, challenging aspects of their lives have extra challenge getting through to the assistance. And 
Um, so what, it, it, you know, I spend a lot of my evenings on the mutual aid sites on Facebook, responding to people who are saying, I need help, I'm gonna be evicted, you know, the 1st of September. And I'm jumping in there saying, if you live in Boise or Ada County, contact this, you know, here's the information. If you're Ada, if you're outside of Ada here, go to Idaho Housing. Um, and one of them did end up getting in touch with me and we were able to, um, and, and hers was uh, self-employment income and how to, she had more income in uh, 2020, uh, 2020, which would not qualify her under the 80% of AMI, but that's not what her income has been in 21. And so how do we get to that? And so the income thing, I think has been a barrier for a lot of people, especially if they're self-employed, um, they don't have their tax information. You know, if you're, uh, when your life becomes unmanageable because the stress level is so high and the income issues are so oppressive, just remembering where you put your car keys can be uh, a day stopper. And so where are my taxes? You know, where's that information that I need? Um, and we do have a, a time limit because we get graded on the turn time from when somebody applies to when we get the assistance out. And so trying to figure that part out to make sure that um, we keep the information fresh and we're following up and getting the information we need. For some reason on that particular case, when I said, do you have a 1099 you can provide? Within 30 minutes, I had it. Now, whether that's something that the temp person just didn't know, that's another way to get information, but um, it was a simple fix. And um, we, we got the checkout. I mean, I found out about it Monday and we got the checkout today. Wow. Thank you. Okay, Zoe, I have a question for you. Yeah. I've heard you say before that one of the best things someone can do if they're facing eviction is to seek legal aid, whether they're part of a protected class or not. And I think for a lot of people like me, the idea of seeking legal aid can feel like this unattainable thing. There's this idea that we're overly litigious, which, you know, without going into that, that kind of places more blame on the individual than the institution, right? Um, but what are some of the avenues people can take to advocate, advocate for themselves when facing barriers to rental assistance and evictions? And is seeking legal aid something that should be less of a taboo, particularly when it comes to housing? Yeah, I think the first thing, the most important thing you can do is self-advocate. Um, and that is if you're experiencing a barrier, you know, accessing rental assistance, accessing, you know, legal services, social services, is make sure you know you're keeping dates and times and you're, you know, if you think something, you need something, keep at it, you know, don't give up. Um, and certainly if you're experiencing barriers to accessing services, find someone to help, right? So find someone who from a social service group, a family member, um, you know, go, go to us or Idaho Legal Aid or one of the social service groups, you've seen Link, Jesse Tree, um, or find a find a, a friend like uh, you know Deanna or um, some of the other people that are on um, are on our call today that are willing to like partner with you and try and work with you to access these services because you should never feel alone. You know the best thing you can do is is reach out and ask for the things that you need. And if you're a person with a disability, you can always ask for a reasonable accommodation for removing a barrier to accessing services or, ac or asking for um, language services if the program, all of us are federally funded, the ERAP programs are federally funded. Um, and I think that's really critical to make sure that you're your own best advocate. We have a self-advocacy page um, that you can use that's on our website um, and can direct everyone to how to, how to self-advocate. Um, but also, um, and it's in multiple languages, but you can also um, do that yourself with and, and or without with a, a, a colleague or a friend or community member. Um, and that's just really great. So you have someone who's a witness, but also someone who when you're in stress can like take notes and and ask the critical questions that you might forget, you know, when you're trying to, to um, work with somebody on a problem such as payment of rent. But if you're going to defend an eviction, I mean, even talking with you know, Ali um, and Jesse Tree do a great job mediating evictions. We know from both, you know, Legal Aid and, and Intermountain and the private attorneys that are working with us on evictions that, you know, it really does help to have kind of all of us together working on it. We get involved, we work with, you know, Deanna on something, but then we're working with maybe uh, Legal Aid on preventing the eviction. We're working on the fair housing piece. So 
um, sometimes it takes all of us, right? Like a, it takes the, it takes a village to work everybody to keep somebody housed, but also educate the housing provider, educate the housing provider's lawyer, you know, educate all of us to mediate it. And I would say, you know, of the calls we receive, you know, get over 2000 fair housing calls and rarely, you know, do we file a fair housing complaint, maybe 12 to 20 a year. So all those in between get mediated or negotiated or, or, you know, worked out. I mean, really very quite few do. And so I think, you know, self-advocacy is the best, but when you don't, the best thing you can do before the deadline, before your deadlines is, is get help. I wanted to follow up. There's something for Deanna and Sarah. There was a question that Kelly asked, and maybe you already answered it about, um, does this assistance, the ERAP money, because I know we get this question a lot, um, for people who are getting pushed out of their homes or their homes are getting, being sold because, you know, high high prices people can ask for and then they can increase the rents or they can um, afford to charge more. Um, can we use the assistance for that or moving to another place that may be more affordable? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, we are still working through the policy process to get approval from the city and the county. And so uh, what we're, what we're, our position we've, we're taking is that if we don't have a, a policy that is prohibiting it, and we think that it makes good, reasonable sense to do it, we're going to do it. Um, so that's kind of the position we're in right now, whether that gets, you know, through the maneuvering uh, that changes. The other thing I want to say on the, um, uh, to tag on to what Zoanne said is um, sometimes it takes somebody getting to Intermountain Fair Housing Council or legal aid for us to get information that we need and would want to have. And so um, we don't view Intermountain Fair Housing Council or legal aid as our adversaries. We really, we're all trying to keep people housed and help people. And there may be somebody on, a, on our staff who didn't understand something about fair housing and they gave bad advice or they didn't respond to something that the way they needed to. I won't know about that. Sometimes unless somebody went to Zoan or went to Intermount, uh, to legal aid and then we get a call and then we work together to try to make it right. So I see those partnerships as incredibly important for all of us and, um, so I, I would want to tell somebody, if you feel like you can't get through to us and you can get through to fair housing or, or legal aid, that might create the road that gets to us the information we need to have. So thank you. Um, and I have one, I'm going to squeeze in one more question. If, and if we didn't get to your questions, they're going to, we we're going to answer them on the event page. There's one other question. Can people who meet the definition of homeless receive assistance to pay for deposits and first month's rent? This question's from LaDawn. We're working on um, two aspects we don't have developed into policy yet. One is that, and the other one is hotel motel assistance for people that have had to move into uh, um, a hotel. And so we have a draft policy that was prepared for us by um, staff and legal at both the city and the county that um, we are not in agreement with. And so we're trying to pare that down. Um, and come up with a policy that we think would be acceptable. So those two areas um, are still under development. Um, and we don't have, I, I, I mean, I'm basically, I'm not at a policy point where I'm comfortable saying, this is the way we wanna do it. Um, so we're continuing to work with the folks at the city and the county and looking at what Idaho Housing is doing as well. Cool, all right. And we have gone a bit over time, but I have one question for both of you. Um, to wrap it up on a slightly lighter note, there are a lot of stressors circling around everyone right now. And for many housing and housing security is one of those stressors, but working in the industry you both work in, what's giving you hope for a future where fair housing is more attainable for everyone? Gosh, for me, um, and I know it's gonna look like I'm just paying Zoanne back for saying nice things, but Zoanne <laughs> uh, and I go back now decades working together and uh, Gary, there's others on the, you know, I'm seeing um, Glenn and Suchu and every, it's those connections that I have been able to make through the years of um, not just like-minded people, but like-hearted people, knowing that we're all in this together and um, focusing on those who we can help 
and remembering um, those successes so we can turn and deal with the next challenge. Um, so I think it's the people and the passion that I get to connect with um, and just be re-energized by. I love that. And I, I would second that too. We were talking about today at our uh, previous meeting um, at the Idaho Asset Building Network. And when you get in a room full of people and I would, everybody here on this, I would say is true as well. You get energized. You're like, there's so much hope. I'm, I'm kind of always been a half, you know, a glass half full person. And I think when you get energized to create a movement toward um, transformational, generational thriving, right? When we're all like, everyone should have a home and everyone should be able to you know, own something, right? Own your home and, and have that. And I, I want us to move toward that. And in order to do that, we got to put all these pieces together, right? We're building this, this boat or this what, and it will have a ripple effect. And I think that's what gives me hope is there's some really innovative collaboration going on toward policy, um, toward practices, toward what, what can we do to make things better um, so that we all have housing as a public good. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited that um, we have these people, all of us talking about it and saying, oh, here's our vision. How do we get there? And I think that's, I think that's what's really promising right now. Awesome. Well, that, that made me really happy to hear. Thank you everyone for being here today. Thanks to our speakers. Uh, we invite you all back for our next town hall on August 26th. Please send us questions or ideas. If you have them, all the resources, recordings, and links are on the event page. Be sure to register for the events to receive notices on topics. Thanks so much to Zoe and Deanna for being here, to Lori, our captioner, and to Brittany for running tech in the background. And we'll see you on the 26th. Thank you.